Welcome to the latest FT Advisor podcast, where we're looking at the big life changes that can happen to couples or individuals going through fertility treatment. We know that infertility costs can sometimes be eye-watering, and people don't always know how to meet these or how to go about paying the bills. And of course, it comes with a big emotional toll that requires the help and input of families, friends, and trusted professionals. Here to talk to us today about some of these issues is Charlotte Gentry. She's the founder of the IVF Network and Emma Cannon. She's an integrated fertility specialist and a mentor. Welcome to you both. Hello. Thanks for having me. Thanks for having us, Simone. Thank you very much for for joining us. Mm -hmm. Now, Charlotte, you recently set up the IVF Network. Can you talk to me a little bit about why you've done that and uh, the reasons for it? Yes, sure. Um, I went through a six-year IVF journey myself which was quite challenging for a number of reasons. I went through a number of clinics in the UK and did, I suspect what a lot of people do, which is take recommendations from friends who had been through treatment themselves and therefore went to clinics based on their experiences. And I think the one thing that I learned is that just because one person is successful, it doesn't necessarily guarantee that you're going to be successful because everybody's body is different. And my experience is, of going through a number of clinics in the UK wasn't fantastic. So I ended up by only about two and a half years through my journey, actually getting diversity of opinion with a number of different specialists about what my journey should look like, because I wasn't achieving my goals. I wasn't becoming successful. I was in my early 40s when I was sort of halfway through my journey and I just needed to come out the other side because I wasn't in a particularly happy place. Um, And I just felt that I was throwing good money over bad and it was a very expensive process and I didn't qualify, unfortunately, for NHS treatment. So I was doing everything privately and I was going to all of the most renowned and top clinics. And don't get me wrong, I did eventually meet a couple of unicorns in the industry and I, I, I was lucky to feel safe and supported eventually, but it took me a long time to get there. So the reason why I set up the IVF network is to create that diversity of opinion that it took me two and a half years to get to, where I actually, I went to go and have consultations with six different people eventually to figure out what it was I needed to do next. And that probably cost me about 1500 quid, which, you know, for half an hour each of people's time. So you're looking at sort of 300 to 350 pounds for the top specialists um, for up to, you know, half an hour, 45 minutes at a push to get a feel Um, And you've got to make sure that you're asking the right questions as well. And I think that's really, really important because, you know, it's such an emotive thing that your brain also only receives the information that you actually want to hear a lot of the time. And you don't really, in many cases, I think you don't ask the right questions. And I, I wish I'd asked from the very beginning, okay, give it to me straight. What are my percentage chances based on my age and based on my set of circumstances um, so that I really could understand what I was what I was looking at and so the IVF network basically is bringing is creating access to all the top top UK IVF specialists clinicians nutritionists and practitioners we're not spreading the net wide to thousands of people that are practicing in in the in the industry um, because we're being very focused on who the best people are to actually gain that advice from and we're 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 creating a platform in studio based broadcast to deliver that content around very specific topics that you really need to understand when going through that IVF journey. So it is, yes, there are blogs, there are news articles, but the live broadcast piece, we've got key people such as Adrian Lauer and Tim Evans, who's the Queen's uh, private GP and 
James Nicopoulos from the, from the Lister, you know, we've got some really, really top people that we are bringing on board to have very key conversations around PGS testing of embryos and, you know, all the add-ons that people are being asked to pay for and the differences in protocols from different clinics and integra- how to create integrated fertility strategies and those kind of things, which Emma very much specializes in. So it's, it's really trying to help people make measured decisions much faster and not have to spend as long trying to get to their goal as I did. So that's the primary purpose. Yeah, and it's a very noble and very worthy purpose. And, uh, and I wish something like that had been around when I was uh, going through, through, through my journey. But you, you mentioned something very interesting about sort of the, the NHS and what qualifies and what doesn't. I'm just wondering, Emma, can we come to you? Because sometimes people, when I speak to them, they say, well, why didn't you do it on the NHS? And then I have to say, well, don't you realise how old I am? You know, there are yeah. ups and every area has a slightly different policy or, you know, my For friend sure. got free, I got one free. It, yeah, it's a very confusing system. And as we know, the, the NHS has some very difficult decisions to make um, where they're going to spend their money and where best to put their money. And I think that that's always going to be very confusing about the healthcare system in the UK. I mean, when American clients come here, they're, they're like, what? You know, it's so confusing for them, you know, because we have this public service and then we have this private service. And because we do have a public offering, there's an assumption that it will be available to everyone. But the NHS can only put the money where there is going to be a likelihood of it being successful. It's the same for everything. It's the same for cancer. It's the same for everything. So the NHS has some very difficult decisions to make, and I definitely wouldn't want to be a policymaker at the moment for the, for the NHS. And um, that said, that doesn't help, that doesn't help the, the customer because you can get um, NHS privately um, over 40. There would be an assumption, therefore, that it's, you know, that it's a good treatment. But actually, as you know, the, the, the likelihood of it being successful of a, a clinically very low so it might be something like five percent which the NHS were never going to put their money towards that so that's very difficult and you know it they say that it takes a village to to bring up a child I think these days sometimes it takes a village to create a child um, and I think that's what we're trying to create with the uh, with the IVF um, network really a, a village of really good people yeah and definitely that's that village is needed because when Couples realise, um, well, in our case, it was a couple, we, we realised that um, it wasn't going to happen naturally. The first thing we did was go to our GP. Mm. Um, and then we said, well, we've got private medical insurance. Mm. And she said, well, that's not going to work because most PMI doesn't cover fertility yeah. or it doesn't cover consultations. Um, and you mentioned the Americans. So I think the Americans do have insurance that covers all this. So, so it's, it's sort of like seems like we're almost sort of financially set up to fail from, from the start. I think one thing too, just to focusing on the financial aspect, and you know, I unfortunately ended up by spending a lot of money on my treatment to get where I needed to get to in the States. So my, my treatment finished in, in America. So I ended up by completing my treatment in Denver in actual fact, because I made some decisions based on the PGS testing was all happening in America. So my view was, why don't I just go to the source, quite honestly, rather than staying in the UK, I might as well go to the clinic over there as opposed to doing it in the UK. But it was probably four times more expensive to do that because the drugs are more expensive and it was you know, a highly, highly expensive process. And I do hear of some horror stories in the UK of people paying for this um, on their credit cards and you know, racking up enormous debt in order to to get anywhere and and that's why you know I sort of think you know in the UK if there was one 
thing that's really challenging in the UK is that the perspective appears to be, we'll just have another go, just have another try. And, you know, in a lot of cases, what the um, why it's not worked or or tailor making that treatment. And, And Emma, you may disagree with me. You're just told to have another go and then you're just throwing more money at something. Why? Why are my chances any better by just doing it again? I mean, I definitely don't disagree with that. I mean, I think I spent most of my career signposting people in the right direction because it is so nuanced that it's absolutely pointless sending someone, you know, who's got implantation issues to to just do another round you need you need more information but Mm. most people wouldn't know that I only know that because I've got thousands and thousands of hours of clinical experience sitting in and watching you know and I sit very much between all the worlds so no I don't disagree with that at all I I don't think it is a case of just throwing another cycle of IVF I think it's it really is about being signposted in the right way which again which is what we're trying to do with the as much as you can do without you know a one-to-one um that was what was happening to me in the UK as I was just being told to have another go at it yeah. and actually um every time I did the second round my outcome was worse than the first time it had been so you're um as a as a patient your instinct is I'm just going to go again go at it again quite quickly because oh god I've just lost the first one so I'm going to go again and one can't take away the fact that your body is going through quite a lot of trauma in order to be able to do this process. And so it doesn't catch up if you just keep bashing it, you know, and keep going. And I know, Emma, that, you know, you advise, you know, there's a whole nutritional piece and there's a whole well-being piece behind this as well. That's not just about the, the actual sort of clinical aspect of going through IVF. And there are some great people in the industry, which, you know, is why... Um, Emma and I have been working together because of Emma's experience being so valuable of knowing exactly who the right people are to engage with because that you can end up by going down rabbit holes with unfortunately the wrong people and it is a big industry and it is dare I say it very commercialized now and and it is it, it does make money obviously and so perhaps not always the right information is being transmitted and that's what we're hoping to try to help and deliver on now. Now, sure. Now, obviously, our, our readers are financial advisors, male and female, and they're all excellent at their job and they care about people's financial health. So if they've got a couple who's saying, look, we need to free up some money because we need to start paying for, for IVF. Is there any sort of like practical ways that they can point people towards saying, well, have you considered going to this consultancy or have you considered maybe speaking to your GP or getting referrals? I mean, what what sort of useful hints would a trusted professional be able to give them to signpost them to something that maybe doesn't cost money at first? I think if I had my time again, and I think I probably threw good money over bad. So as I said, I did spend significant amounts of money on my on my treatments. I would have taken the approach of the divert. I, I think that the 1500, if you're not going to become a member of the IVF network, um, you know, spending the 1500 pounds on getting that diversity of opinion is absolutely crucial from the very, very get-go. And I, I would imagine that speaking to your GP to start with is a good place to, to, to be if you're not paying for, for that consultation, I suppose. Um, and you can you can get that through the NHS. How proficient they're actually going to be and how well-versed in fertility is a different matter. So, you know, it's probably, I would go to a consultant gynecologist probably to start with, um, at, perhaps if you're if you've got a GP that's 
um, that's on the NHS where the where fertility isn't their specialism, rather go to a gynaecologist to have that conversation and iron out all the challenges you might have if it's unexplained. The difficulty is when it's unexplained fertility, you know, how you kind of overcome that one. And I think that probably I jumped around clinics. I'm not entire. There are different protocols in different places. But at the end of the day, are the embryology departments significantly different in the in the UK to each other? I don't know the answer to that, Emma. Maybe you can. I mean, one thing I was going to say, a lot of this is a, hangs on expectation. And I think that we do have an expectation that if all and, and I think we're, as a generation, we had an expectation that if all else fails, you know, medicine would be there to, to come to the rescue. Um, and obviously that's what we're shown with Hollywood stars and, you know, they can have their children right into their late 40s and things like that. So there's a, there was an optimism bias and there's also an expectation that actually if it fails and then IVF will come to the rescue. It, it, it really isn't that simple. You know, it's a very, very complicated part of medicine. For, the, for, for, one, for one thing, mostly, um, we're dealing with a, a, a male and a female gamut I think that's still the case um so um so you know that we're dealing with a man and a woman mostly and um and and you know that's complex you know we don't know where the problem is we don't know whether there's a problem on one side or another we don't know whether there's a combination of problems and actually sometimes it is just a case of it being a voyage of discovery for the consultant and for the patient so I think we have to when we're talking about educating around fertility I think we have to manage people's expectation and not have it that IVF is the be all and end all and it's going to be there to rescue you if everything goes wrong. Because the problem with having that kind of insurance policy is we tend to sort of push things to the background and say, it's okay, I'll put it off until I'm 40, you know, because there's always IVF and so-and-so had a baby at 45, so I'll be fine. You know, so I think when we're, when we're talking about planning and, and all of that kind of thing, we, we, we've got to inject a bit of, you know, realistic expectation here. So on the one hand, yes, as Charlotte says, and as we're trying to help people do, you can cut through some of the nuances um, and ask the right questions. But I think we've got to rewind a little bit further than that and not have <laughs> oversell this idea of IVF. And if we're not careful, we're going to do exactly the same thing with egg freezing you know we're gonna we're gonna build up egg freezing that's to be an answer to all fertility problems when you still have the male problem there you still have the female vessel which has to carry the baby so do you know what I mean it, it, this is this is we've got to unravel all of these unrealistic expectations as well sure now okay. if I can stick with you for a second because Charlotte also mentioned you know it's you know, perhaps going around and getting different consultations mm. with different people can sometimes be really helpful. And mm. obviously you're paying for that. But in your professional life, have you come across sort of support services like Red Arc or Pepe, um, where you can get a sort of telephone consultation as part of your insurance policy? You can just pick up the phone and speak to these guys. And, and if so, you know, could that be a helpful starting point for people? Just find out what their workplace insurance is offering. Does it come with any support or any nursing counselling? I mean, I have no experience with that. I think the problem with generic advice is it's just that, isn't it? It's generic. And as we keep coming back to, this is very nuanced. So, you know, I and you're dealing with two people, you're dealing with two lots sets of biology. So I don't, I don't know, do they, are these people advising medically or they're advising financially? They're advising medically. Um, oh, so yeah. nurses um, and some okay. of the counsellors as well to deal with the mental health as aspect of it. So you can phone up and speak to a mental health counsellor as well. 
that might sort of speak to the emotional aspect of, of going through through IVF. Yeah, I mean, I think if you if it helps create a sense of safety, I think is really important because I think what can happen, and I think what happens um, with with Charlotte's story is the further you go into it, and the more you keep get being offered to just do another round of IVF, you you start to mistrust the people that are giving you your care, and as soon as you start to mistrust them, I mean, from a from a from a biological point of view, you're going to be pumping out cortisol, adrenaline, especially if it's costing you money. You're going to be working harder to pay the bills the the sense of safety that you're creating in the body mind is is not there it's gone and without that uh, that makes fertility even more difficult because one thing I've seen over years and years and years is safety feeling safe is really important now safety can come on many levels that can be financial safety you know do I really want to bring a child into the world by the time I've spent all this money am I going to be able to <laughs> educate this child you know what it, you know there's many things that add to people people's safety and um, I'm pumping my body full of chemicals so uh, yeah I, I think you know there's got to be a circuit breaker and whether and who knows who that circuit breaker will be you know Charlotte had a couple of unicorns <laughs> arrive it might be a phone call with somebody that really changes your mindset on that but I think it's very important to create emotional safety financially medically in whatever way you can and I think I think that, you know, something that we are very much offering is the corporate benefit piece. And I I feel that's kind of where we're moving into in terms of this conversation, which is around giving people that support as part of the company benefit scheme. And I think that it's difficult to know because we don't profess to be the site and and the IVF network essentially is agnostic. What we're doing is we're creating the platform for the top IVF specialists to be able to give their expertise to our, to our, our membership and our audience. The challenge with having actual uh, practitioners giving advice is we, you're in the lap of the gods at knowing what the quality control is like around that, I suppose. And every piece of advice is completely subjective. That person doesn't know you on the telephone. That person hasn't even seen the whites of your eyes. What we would hope to do um, for corporate membership is give people that platform to be able to feel safe. They can be anonymous within our community. There's an ability to share stories, share their, their concerns, their fears, their journey, learn from other people within the community because we've got a social feed, but also at the same time, tune in to the various topics that they want to tune into. We've got loads of pre-recorded content on there as well. So it gives the ability to know that you're, you're hearing from the top people in the UK, not just someone that's like, oh, hello, I've been given you today to talk to. Yeah, so you want to be more than a number or more than just a, a little box to, to tick. Um, and particularly with, with IVF, because, you know, you, you go through this checklist, are you are you doing it enough? You know, are you eating healthily? Are you smoking? And, you know, then someone who's not eating healthily, smoking all the time and drinking can suddenly get pregnant and you can't. So, you know, (laughs) and I think that's very true. And that's, there's a trap in that as well. And I think the problem with the wellness industry is it's sort of, and the problem, well, the problem with, with, with us women is that we always think that we're doing something wrong or that it's us men don't think that so much (laughs) um but 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 women always think what's wrong with me what's wrong with me I'm broken I need fixing and of course then you can go down another rabbit hole where you're just throwing money at endless 
fertility yoga, you know, diets, pills, standing on your head. You know, there's a bottomless pit of money you can spend there mm. as well. And it's about, you know, all of those things. It's about using the right treatment at the right time acupuncture can be incredibly helpful in some things but it's not a cure-all none of these things are a cure-all IVF isn't a isn't a cure-all so it's it's about knowing what treatments to have and when and not just blindly throwing all the money in the world mm. at it or, or that, not that's it because um you're, you're absolutely right Emma and I've spoken to quite a lot of women who well I know one lady she remortgaged her house and they went through 11 rounds of IVF um, my husband and I said we weren't going to get into debt to do this, but we have used up a lot of our savings. You know, people say to us, why don't you have a car or why haven't you moved out further into the country? Like, well, <laughs> we had other priorities, but yeah. the one thing we didn't want to do is, is get into debt. So we did use our savings and we have been clever about how we've used credit cards and sort of swapping things over. But um, it is a sort of a financial strain. And if you are not financially savvy, then you've got all that stress, haven't you, as well, Charlotte? Yeah, it's it's huge. It, it is huge. And actually, when we were going through it, just to sort of put it into perspective, so my husband was going through a massive career change because um, he was a professional tennis player um, and then um, went into recruitment and actually was still kind of coming out of recruitment and going into private banking, actually, which is, you know, because he's had a massive career change. So I was very much the breadwinner. And so I had to pretty much fund most of it because that's where we were at it in our life. We didn't have, don't get me wrong, my husband certainly 100% contributed, but it, it, we had challenges around that. So, you know, it, it's not easy. And, the, you know, when you compile the financial stress, the physical stress and the emotional stress, and my husband, who's an absolute legend in his own lunchtime, was unbelievably supportive, but he was basically an emotional punch bag. And, you know, you hear of terrible situations where marriages don't survive because of the stresses around it. And so one's got to find the way that you can compartmentalize somehow some of this. I found a way personally to be very, very pragmatic about it. So, okay, that's not working. Now I need to do this, right? This hasn't worked. You know, now we've got to do that. You know, my husband basically was a passenger on the journey as opposed to feeling like he and so felt, felt very isolated because the clinicians weren't really particularly interested in him, even though it was very much a joint issue that we had between the two of us. So it was... It's challenging. You've got all of these difficult things to try and balance. And, and fertility specialists are by training, they're gynecologists. So they're not they're not specialized in, in male health or fertility at all. They're specialists in female fertility. So that's a sort of fatal flaw as well, because all the you know, it's very much directed in that direction. I mean, certainly, I don't know whether there are now, but certainly when I was going through it, you know, there weren't even payment plan options really in terms of oh, well I didn't experience it anyhow mm. where I could pay 10% deposit and then I could pay the with the rest of it in installments it was chunks of yeah. 5,000 basically most of the time things just came in fives so you know you have to think okay how am I going to fund this next experience you know it wasn't easy and you've invested so much, sorry, you've invested so much that you don't know when to stop because you think, well, we nearly got there last time. Yeah. So I don't know whether to stop now or not. And you think I've already thrown so much money at this that it would almost be a waste of money if yeah. I fall back now and I don't go forward. You know, and I, and I remember saying this to my husband, like, I don't want to keep throwing, I think you've used this phrase, good money after bad. And he said, well, it's only throwing good money after bad if 
we don't get a result. And I thought, mm. well, then I sort of understood what he was saying, but then that also suggests that it has been a waste of money if nothing mm. works. And I, I think, you know, when it comes to the financial aspects, perhaps IVF isn't the sort of thing you talk about with you, with your family much. Um, I mean, nowadays, I think we do. And, and I know you do, um, Charlotte, but quite a lot of people don't really like to talk about it with their families. But perhaps this is where a sort of family financial plan can come in. Perhaps grandparents were thinking of giving you an inheritance. Maybe they can do lifetime giving to help. Yeah, you. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not had many. Yeah, I've had many clients that have had their their treatment paid for by their parents. Yeah, and I certainly had some help in that respect because I couldn't have done it without that. So it was, you know, we're going to help you now, but it's <laughs> coming off the bottom line, <laughs> you know. But I think that's the that's probably the primary hurdle that a lot of people go through to start with is the recognition of the expense of it and so I guess what we're what we're trying to do is to make it incredibly affordable to gain access to this this level of expertise so maximum you'll you'll spend is a couple of hundred pounds a year on on having access to all of this content so if you don't have to spend the sort of just getting the right when you think about the amount of consultations a lot outside of actually the IVF round cost that you're paying you know, I must have spent at least £5,000 probably just on consultations alone, I would think, without even sort of engaging in the treatment itself. And what's really powerful as well about the content that you're putting out, that we're putting out there, is that it's, show, it's showing the nuances as well. So, it, you know, it's it's saying this isn't cut, this isn't simple. This isn't cut and dry. It's not as simple as, you know, I'll just do that and then that will happen. You know, it, it, there's more to it. And I think because the conversations that are being had are so in depth, I think that that's also dispelling some of the myth that if I just do this, it will work. I'll just blindly do this and it will work. It's, it's, it's I think we're bringing the reality into the into the fore a little more. And I think this is really good for financial advisors to signpost clients to as a first quarter yeah. um, and to their corporate clients as well. When the corporate clients are thinking about um, the benefits package, just say, well, perhaps you can consider putting this into your benefits package. Because mm. while it might not be relevant for everyone in the firm, um, when you're spreading the total cost over all your employees, it probably only works out about, what, 10p per year for employee or something. Yeah, well, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it really, but it could really benefit clients as a very first port of call and then help them to make more informed decisions. Yeah. I mean, our, our, our corporate benefits offering is under 3000 a year for 10 subscribers. So it's it's really, really cost effective when you think about what you can, what the company is then offering. Um, and, it, you know, it's I think it's better to personally to do something like that than just I know that I have a friend who, who works for Apple. Um, and they they sub the IVF treatment, and that's amazingly generous. But if you then go and put that money with a completely hopeless clinic, then you're throwing that money down the drain anyway because you haven't got the information and you don't know what you're doing. So you need to know where you should be going before you start. You know, if some if if a company is going to give you ten grand for a couple of rounds or whatever it it is that Apple is very generously offering, then you need to know what you're doing with that money. And then perhaps people don't want to say to their employers, hey, you know, I, I want to try and get pregnant so then I can be on maternity leave for Well <laughs> that's the that's the other yeah. thing is the safety of having the conversation with your employer and being upfront and open about it. And actually um as an entrepreneur, so I have 
I have a corporate events agency um, along um, alongside um, this. And so I had to juggle not letting any of my company know that this is what I was going through because I didn't want to, I didn't want everybody jumping up and down with excitement. And also I didn't therefore want to feel like I was failing and I was having to travel to America and it was a totally different time zone by about eight hours. And, you know, so all of those complexities were really, really tricky. Um, so I can only begin to imagine what it must be feel like if you're trying to do this and not let your boss know or your line manager or what have you. Um, and it's having the ability to be open about it and say, I'm an equal, I'm incredibly responsible in my job. I'm not going to let my, my work slip, but I am having to do this at the same time. Can we enable some level of flexibility and not feel that you're going to be penalized for that? Yeah. And again, it just comes down to that sort of communication, that openness, and then being able to access trusted professionals. Yeah. And I do think that the financial advisors, family solicitors, GPs should sort of almost work together a, a lot more to create a holistic sort of financial health, mental health, mental wellness, financial wellness sort of um, sort of uh, support for, for individuals. But yeah, and if you have an egg policy, free, freezing policy in place, you need to educate people around that. Otherwise, we're going to have the same problem with egg donation as we've had with IVF, is that people think it's a cure-all and it's that they've got an insurance policy. They don't have to take responsibility for any other aspect of their health. You know, it will just be there when they need it. And that's that's an unrealistic expectation. Indeed. Well, talking of unrealistic expectations, I mean, I, I was hoping that this would go on for a lot longer, but I, I'm aware, Emma, that you have... I've got to go and have a meeting with an IVF doctor. <laughs> Not for me, clearly. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, so I, I could just go and leave you to it. It's been a pleasure. Well, I, I think actually we'll have to um, call it uh, a, a day there. But Emma and Charlotte, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us today. And uh, thank you all for listening. Until next time, take care.